Since the beginning of August, we have been looking at the New Testament letter to the Romans. Uh, Today is our last Sunday in Romans until January. Don't worry, we will pick up chapter 4 in January, but we are finishing chapter 3 today and then taking a short break for the Advent season to think about Jesus and his coming at Christmas. And today, as we wrap up the first three chapters of Romans, we have quite a short passage, only five verses to look at. And in these verses, Paul, the author of these verses, is doing something he does quite often in so many of his letters. And that is he is anticipating objections that people tend to have to his message. That he has shared his gospel message so often, he knows the kinds of things that people like to raise their hands and ask about. And so what I want us to see today is Paul expects his readers to have questions about what they think are weaknesses about this new gospel message. And what Paul is going to do is show that they are actually great strengths. And so really what Paul is doing, after having given us kind of his big idea last week, is this is that part of the infomercial where the product has been presented and the salesman says, but wait, there's more. We've got like the gospel I told you about last week. You thought that's all there is. Don't you worry. There's way better stuff than that as well. There's a lot of goodies that we're just going to throw this in. There's more. Here it comes. And so he's showing us not just the goodness of the gospel message that saves us in Christ, but here are some ways the gospel will transform the way you live as followers of Jesus. Very good ways that it is transformed to follow Jesus. So if you will open up your Bibles, we're at the end of Romans chapter 3. It's one of the New Testament books. It's between Acts and the Corinthians Romans chapter 3, we're looking at verses 27 through 31 as we pick up our series in Romans. Romans 3, beginning in verse 27, let us hear the word of God. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow this law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Amen. Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning to your word. We pray that you would help us to humbly sit under your word, even myself as I proclaim it. May I be under your word and merely proclaim what you say here in the scriptures. And so, Spirit, use me in spite of my sin to faithfully proclaim what is here, to explain it and apply it to our lives and work, O God, through the proclamation of your word by your spirit and an answer to our prayers and do so in a way that you open our ears to hear 
and that you have your word work in us in our heart and mind and soul that we, O oh God, would receive your truth and to believe it and so live by it to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in our passage today, we are going to just try to keep it really simple. We are going to look at three transformational changes made possible by the gospel. Essentially, three ways that we can live as gospel people that we didn't necessarily have to live these ways, but the gospel has made it so we've got these good transformational changes. The first of them has to deal with boasting. And Paul's question to open our passage seems really strange. He asks, then what becomes of our boasting? And you're like, I thought boasting was a bad thing, Paul. Yes. Even the Jews knew that boasting was sinful. And so Paul's question is kind of intentionally sarcastic. Like a parent of young children saying, what will become of our children's complaining if we no longer serve vegetables? It's that kind of question. What will come of this bad habit if we eliminate the bad habit? And so they understood boasting was wrong, but they also understood that boasting happened. And that's because there is something about human nature that makes us boast. We are boastful creatures. Tim Keller writes this, that everyone will always boast in something. It is what you draw confidence and hope from. It is what gives you confidence to go out and face the day. It is what you draw your identity and self-worth from. And so we boast in all kinds of things. Maybe you boast in your intelligence. Or maybe if you're a student in school, you boast in the fact that you get good grades. Or maybe you boast in your reputation as a good person or a hard worker. Maybe you boast that our family has very strong, loving relationships with one another. Maybe you boast in your wealth or your success or your number of followers on social media. You can boast in all number of different ways. And those are all things we can boast in, but Paul is taking specific aim at a certain kind of boasting. A kind of boasting that was prevalent among the Jewish people of his day. And that was they boasted in their adherence to the law of God. Now, in making this criticism, Paul is not picking on the Jews. He is not being anti-Semitic. Paul himself was a Jew who at one time in his life also boasted in his scrupulous adherence to God's law. But he recognized after coming to Christ, that's pretty bad. That kind of boasting is a problem. You see, there's no problem in obeying the law. That's a very good thing. But there is a problem when we regard our obedience as some kind of achievement that establishes or maintains our relationship with God. That's a problem. And so Paul says the gospel just kind of does away with that problem. It's just gone. It gets rid of boasting. He says boasting is excluded. But how, Paul? Well, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Paul is using this word law to mean something like a principle or a way of operating. That instead of relating to God on the basis of our works, we relate to Him on the basis or principle of faith. 
He explains this in verse 28. He writes this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That was Paul's big point last week, that we are made right with God by faith in Jesus and not by what we do. And that is able to eliminate boasting because gift receiving is not a competitive sport. Now, yes, you may compete and count who has the most presents under the Christmas tree. Okay, but that's not receiving. That's the number of gifts. And wide receivers in football do compete in how well they catch the ball. But those balls are thrown like really far away, especially sadly on our our team. And you have defenders that are trying to stop you from catching those balls. And so it is very much a sport. But when we have faith in Jesus, when we are receiving salvation from Jesus, Jesus does not throw a bad pass to us. No one is there to swat Jesus' pass away from us. That when we receive the gift of salvation from Jesus, we just walk up with empty hands and he puts it in our hands. And I don't know about you, but if you wanted to compete at how well you did that, that's kind of lame. What did you see? Did you see how, like, I just cradled it in my hands when he said it there? Like, no one's competing at how well you did that. It's a gift. You didn't do anything. You just held out your hands. So instead of boasting in what we have done, which is nothing, we just held out our hands, we boast in Jesus and what he has done in giving this gift of salvation to us. And so what we are boasting in is not our own works, What we have confidence in now is God. It is Jesus and His work for us. And when we boast in Christ, instead of proudly talking about what we have done, we praise Jesus and what He has done. And so our boasting is no longer a source of pride. It is a source of praise. And that's what we see in David and Goliath. That Goliath stood before David, boasting in his own strength, taking pride in his own abilities, looking down on David's weaknesses, and he boasted according to the principle of works. But David boasted according to the principle of faith. He did not look to his own strength. He didn't even really think he was a super great slingshot. Like that was not, he didn't think like, I know the secret weapon. If you just go to the center of the Death Star and shoot it, it's going to blow up. It's not that he had like the secret plan to defeat Goliath. It's he trusted in God. He boasted that God will not let this mouthy, disrespectful Philistine belittle him. He is going to put him down. He trusted that God would protect his people and his own honor, even through someone weak and small like David. And so David demonstrates how to boast in God. He boasted in the God in whom he trusted to save his people. We get to boast in David's descendant who has saved his people. And that radically transforms how we live. This means that when we gather on a Sunday morning to worship, we don't show up with our spiritual resumes, 
with our godly merit badges to compare and be like, huh, only ten badges this week. You better get better. We don't come to compete and boast and flaunt. Look at all that I have done. That is pride. That is competitive. When we gather, we gather to boast together in what our God has done to save us. And so the Gospel eliminates pride in boasting. And so now we boast together in the Lord. Praising the God who has saved us. That is a good transformation. That is something that brings us together as God's people. Which is exactly what we see in the second transformation as well. You see, one of the most fundamental boasts of God's people was that God had chosen Israel and Israel alone to be his people. He was the God of the Jews. And in order to get right with this God, you had to become a Jew to be right with God. That's how things worked in the Old Testament. And so one of the very first questions the church had to figure out was, does someone have to be Jewish to believe in Jesus? In other words, was there Judaism and then inside of Judaism there's Christianity? Or was Christianity outside of Judaism? Well, Paul's answer here is no. You do not have to become Jewish to become a Christian. And before you think, well, that's just Paul's answer, don't worry, that's also God's answer. That Christianity would spread to all nations and cultures. That Jesus laid the groundwork for this and the way he reached out to Gentiles and, and talked to them and shared the gospel with them and healed them. We also see it in the book of Acts when an angel appears to Peter and he receives a vision about the expansion beyond Judaism of the people of God. And so even though this issue was settled very early in the church, Paul still feels the need to explain it because it was kind of a big change. And so he's asking this question, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. I love what one commentator writes about this. He says, Paul takes one of the most basic statements of Jewish beliefs, monotheism, one God, and turns it against Judaism. See, Judaism was unique in the ancient world that they believed there was one God. You know, you've heard of the Egyptian gods, lots of them. The Greek gods, the Roman gods, all sorts of other gods. Everyone had lots of gods. The more, the merrier. The Jews were weird. They only had one. That's it. Only one. One of their defining verses and truths in the Bible is the Lord. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. And Paul is saying here, well, if God is truly one, then he's the only God option for anybody. You've got to go to this one God. There's not a God of the Jews and a God of these other people. There's just God. See, it wasn't that the Jews had somehow tricked God into signing like a non-compete clause. Like you can't take other people. You're stuck with us. No. God had willingly chosen, I'm working through you guys. He made that choice. And all through the Old Testament, we see sprinkled 
these little promises that all the nations someday will be brought in to join the Jews as well. Well, that someday came with Jesus. And our New Testament reading from Ephesians 2 describes how this dividing wall between the Jews and everyone else was broken down. That the Gentiles had been separated from God. There was no way for them to come to God unless they came to Judaism. But then in Christ, that barrier fell down. And that everyone comes to God through faith in Christ now. That's what Paul is writing in verse 30. That God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And so the way you come to God is through faith in Christ. This means that God has one people now. But it is not a monocultural people. See, in in the Old Testament, all of God's people had the same language. They had the same culture, the same way of doing things, the same ethnicity. They had the same strict dietary laws. But that all has changed. Now, because of the gospel, we have unity without uniformity. That we are united in our beliefs and in most of our practices, but the expressions of those practices are somewhat diverse based on our cultural expressions. That is a radical transformation. Perhaps the easiest way to think about it is compare it to Islam. In Islam, there is a way of dressing for men and women. No matter where you are, you dress like that. There's a language, Arabic. There's a way of doing the religion. You gather at one place. You go to these places, and it is everyone fits in this uniform box of Islam. Or perhaps, if you're not as familiar with Muslims, think of the Amish. The Amish, Amish are uniform. They have their own little peculiarities, but they all dress alike. They all look alike. They all have the same very rigid, strict practices that they follow. They have a mono culture, one culture of one way of doing things. Not Christians now. I mean, you can go to a church in the Philippines, and I bet they sing different songs in a different language than we do, but they're singing to the same Jesus. You can go to a church in China, and they may organize their church slightly differently than we do in light of the freedoms we have that they don't have, but they gather because of Jesus. You may even just, in our own county, go to a church that is traditionally a black church, and you may hear a whole lot more, amens, preach it, than you do here. And we're just, he just did that. That was very awkward. That was so uncomfortable. Please make him stop. Like, yes, we do things in very different cultural expressions, which is good. It unleashes evangelism because the gospel message transcends cultures and languages and even time. And so with access to God expanding beyond this strict monoculture of Judaism, Christianity could spread without having to make Every last thing fit into one mold. We are given unity without uniformity. 
Yes, we hold to the same beliefs. We fundamentally do the same practices. We have the same morals. But the cultural expressions can now be different. So that's the second big transformation Paul is showing comes with the gospel. And this leads into the third transformation he addresses. And it relates back to the law, that thing that distinguished the Jewish people. That if we are saved by faith in Jesus and not our obedience to this law, well, what do you do with this law now? Do we just like get rid of it? Well, Paul asks and answers his own question in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, so what does Paul mean that we uphold and don't overthrow? Well, he cannot mean that Christians uphold the law by doing everything the Jews did. The same clean and unclean laws, the same sacrifices. He's already said that's out. So that's not what he means. He does not mean we uphold the law by getting right with God on the basis of our obedience to the law. That's the whole letter is about don't do that. And Paul's smart enough not to contradict himself in the very next verse. So what he means is we still uphold the law as the standard of God's righteousness. As Mike Tomlin, love Mike Tomlin. As Mike Tomlin says, the standard is the standard. It remains the standard. You can't change the standard. This is what it is. And so we, as Christians, still believe in order to be righteous with God, you must perfectly keep the law. But we also recognize we cannot do that. We believe that Jesus did it, though. That Jesus perfectly kept the law and he gives us his law-keeping righteousness as a gift so we now can be accepted by God. And so if you think about it, we are saved by obedience to the law, just not our obedience to the law. Think of that. God has credited to you who believe in Jesus a perfect record of keeping his law. So that when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, instead of seeing all of your sins, God sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. If that's how we view God's law, that will transform what we do with the law. Because the alternative is not good. Think of the Pharisees. They thought, i got to prove something with my obedience to the law. When I stand before God, He's going to be checking down my law, keeping on a list, and I'm going to be in big trouble. And so what did they do? They had to limit the law. They had to ignore some of what the law meant so they looked better. And they focused on external, superficial things, like how you dress, what movies you would go see, what words you could say or not say, how many times a day you would pray. They focused on easy-to-observe things, not things like love your neighbor. And they were scared of repentance because if they repented, they might realize I've not kept the law very well. But if we know 
that by faith we have the righteousness of Christ given to us, we start to love the law. We can look at the law in all its fullness without being afraid. We can see it for the incredibly high standard it is knowing Jesus met that standard for us. We can appreciate how hard it is to obey that law. We can look and see this is what we are called to do. And yeah, I fall short of it, but it's still what I'm called to do. And Jesus forgives me when I break it, and He strengthens me to try to keep on keeping it. If we believe Jesus obeyed the law for us, we can continue to uphold the moral law. We obey it no longer for our own sake so that we can be right with God. We can obey it because, oh God, this is what you want me to do. This is the good way you have called for us to live. It's like instead of standing before God in opposition, hoping that he grades our paper well, we are brought along God's side like a disciple, if you will, and taught and trained like father and child. Here's what I would like you to do. Here are my instructions. They are high standards, but they are good. Let's try them out together. That is how we can now look at the law. It is a transformational way of looking at God's standards. We can see them for all they require of us without being scared or proud that we've done them. And so as we look at these ways in which the gospel just totally transforms the way we live, and with thanksgiving come up, let me encourage you to give thanks for this. To give thanks for the way that God has given us good news that is not just, all right, I saved you, but I have made life together as followers of Jesus amazing. All you have to do is imagine it differently. Competitive boasting over how much you have done, that sounds terrible. Being isolated in some kind of rigid monoculture, ugh. Being afraid to look at the law and the standards? That's not what God does for us. God has given us such good news and the Gospel has transformed the way we live for God in such amazing ways that now we are fueled by praise instead of pride, unity instead of uniformity, and law-keeping instead of law-avoiding that we are fueled by the grace of God to live as the people of God for the glory of God. Let us give thanks to our great God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the many ways in which You have made following You wonderful and better. That You have freed us from such slavery to the law and competition with one another. That You have freed us to see the full expression of Your people around the world, O oh God. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that You would use the Gospel to fuel this joy we have to follow You. Help us to see the goodness of living for You. And may that be seen in us by others who do not know You, that they too may come to believe in Jesus and so be saved by faith in Him and His work on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.